You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast coming to you from Montecito, California. And today I'd like to start out by reminding you that there is a website associated with this podcast at wealthformula.com. That is where you have uh, access to an abundance of resources, including free downloads, free books, free stuff left and right, webinars, etc. It's also where you can join the Wealth Formula Investor Club. That's where the magic happens. If you are an accredited investor, which basically means you make $200,000 a year, $300,000 a year if you're filing jointly or have a net worth of a million dollars outside of your personal residence, if you meet those qualifications, you are an accredited investor, then you should join Accredited Investor Club on wealthformula.com. It's just called Investor Club. But uh, that's where the magic happens. That's where you take a lot of these concepts that we talk about on this show and we turn them uh, into something beautiful and uh, something that is reality. So don't be a groupie. Don't be a groupie. Actually get into the action and uh, you know start changing your life. So uh, go to wealthformula.com and check that out. Now today, though, I got to tell you, this is a, you know it's another exciting day for Wealth Formula as one of our Star Advisors is uh, coming on the show. His name is Tom Wheelwright. Um, you know, and he talks a lot about tax, of course. He is uh, famous for being the Robert Kiyosaki uh, advisor uh, for for taxes and tax mitigation. He's also Robert Kiyosaki CPA. Um, you know, but when you come to think about taxes, this is an incredibly important topic for this show um, because we emphasize not only the idea of what, how much you make. Great. You make a lot of money. What does that even mean? Make money, right? I make such and such. I make a half million dollars a year. I make a million dollars a year. Uh, but if you're in the state of California and you're getting paid like a W-2, what does it mean to make a half million dollars a year or a million dollars a year? Is that really what you make? Do you really make that? No, no, you don't. With the combined state and federal taxes, if you're a W-2 income uh, person, you're going to make half of that. The federal government in the state of California, for example, in my case, uh, make the other half. And that is just the facts. That is the facts, right? And believe me, I have been there, right? Making uh, over 400-some thousand, 450-something like that. The first year that uh, fin after finishing residency, man, that was the biggest money I'd ever seen uh, in my life after residency. And that was as a W-2 employee. And uh, of course, I would kind of look at this thing. I'm making 400 something thousand dollars a year. Uh, but man, uh, it doesn't feel like that. I mean, it, it feels much better than it did when I was making 50. But um where's all this money going? Well, as it turns out, you know, it was all going to taxes. It was just getting paid, you know, taken out of the check. So no, I wasn't making, I wasn't making $400,000 a year. I was making like $200,000 plus per year. And it's still good. It's just, uh, it was still good. It just wasn't as it sounds. So, you know, um, 
At any rate, uh, it is a painful experience when you start seeing that, right? It's not what you make, it's what you keep. And what you keep, in many cases, is almost half as much as you're supposed to make. So <clears throat> that sort of pain, I think, is an important to understand. And, uh, you know, even at an early age. So I've gone through these experiments where I will, you know, get my children some ice cream and then I'll take half of it because I want the ice cream and I'll say it's tax. You have to pay tax, you know, and, uh, you know, they, they don't like it. They don't like the idea of, of, you know, their ice cream is being, um, half of their ice cream is being taken away from them. They've earned it by, you know, being good, et cetera. Uh, and, uh, by taking half of that, they, they feel like it's unfair that why, why, why am I working for this and you get to take half? So they get the point of the pain. However, their first inclination, like many others and many other you know adults, is that instead of trying to negotiate and try to figure out how to pay less tax, they try to get two scoops instead of one, feeling like they just, you know, if they can increase their top line, that won't hurt as much when the bottom line comes out and they don't generally ask, is there a way daddy that I can pay less tax? I mean, is there things that I can do? And if they did that, then I would be inclined to give them some ideas to do that just as a learning experience. But you know, it's human nature to accept certain things like this and to just to say, okay, we can overcome this by just doing more. You know, even if you look at the brilliant words of Benjamin Franklin years ago, uh, he said famously, in this world, nothing can be said to be certain except death and taxes. Well, as a physician, I can tell you that we don't have a solution to the former, the whole death issue right now. Uh, but the latter, which is the tax issue, well, there's several potential solutions on that one, at least for mitigation. I mean, look at our president, President Donald J. Trump, Right. Uh, billions of dollars. The guy makes, you know, the guy's worth billions of dollars, makes like $400 million, even as a reality TV star on The Apprentice. And well, you know, guess what? He paid $750 in taxes during that period of time. Now, the truth is, I guess he did pay $750 taxes and he didn't pay zero. So maybe Ben Franklin was right. But, you know, listen, every citizen of the United States of the world is legally, uh, you know, okay to mitigate the amount of taxes they pay as long as they don't break the law. You know, I've heard the argument that it's unpatriotic to go and try to decrease your tax burden. However, however, understand that the tax law needs to be seen in a different light, right? It needs to be seen as legislation, as a series of incentives. If, the, if you do what the government wants you to do vis-a-vis -vis these uh, incentives, then you will get to pay less taxes. So in that line of reasoning, if you are paying less tax, you're being more patriotic, okay? So in other words, if you're paying less taxes, you are doing what the government theoretically wants you to do. Anyway, if you're concerned about reducing your tax bill being 
unpatriotic, you're probably not going to be a Wealth Formula listener for long anyway. So I'm not going to worry much about that. However, if you'd like to seriously start to change your tax, my friend and CPA, Tom Wheelwright, says there's only one way to do that. You have to change your facts. You have to change your facts if you want to change your tax. And, um, and so if you want to change your facts... I will also tell you something that I really, truly believe. I can tell you with some level of certainty that if you're willing to make a few little changes and put the effort into it, there's almost always a way to do it. You just have to have the right advisors and you have to have, you know, you have to be willing to make a few changes. Of course, Tom Wheelwright is my tax advisor and uh, I think he's the best in the business. I remember uh, talking to Robert Kiyosaki a few years ago, and we talked about Tom Wheelwright, and he said the same thing. He says, Tom's a genius. He's the, he's the best tax guy in the world. So uh, if, if he's good enough for Robert, he's good enough for me. And so if you want to start keeping more of uh, what you make, I highly recommend uh, that you listen to this interview that we will do with Tom Wheelwright right after these messages. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast. Of course, he is no stranger to this show, to me, to you. He is the Michael Jordan of taxes and CPAs out there. His name is Tom Wheelwright. Tom is the author of Tax-Free Wealth. He is a rich dad advisor to Robert Kiyosaki in the subject of tax. And he's also my CPA, which is probably what he's most famous for. Just kidding. Okay. <laughs> for sure. All right. But always a pleasure, uh, Tom. I have to tell you, it is really always a pleasure. I have so much uh, respect for you, and you know, you're just an all-around good guy with great ethics. On top of being super duper smart, and so I want to thank you again for being on our show. Oh, thanks, thanks for having me, Buck. And uh, so again, uh, we are on the subject of taxes, and and you know, listen, there's so much going on out there. We want to talk about it. You and I talked about talking about a very specific issue, which in some regards seems basic, but it's not because people don't take this as seriously as they need to, which is the idea of, of creating passive income. However, before we do that, we got some questions related to current events, which I thought might be useful to just address uh, with you. First of all, Tom, Wondering, is there anything that we need to know in terms of the current legislation is uh, with regard to PPP, all that stuff? Is there any changes since we last had an update? Well, since we last had an update, of course, uh, Trump has pulled the plug yeah. on the negotiations. And so what that means is, is that we may not know. I mean, right now, we have to assume that the PPP will be taxable. Right. That's what we have right. to assume because that's what the IRS has said is that the expenses won't be deductible, which basically makes the PPP taxable. Um, we have to assume that. The House and the Senate both seem to want it to be non-taxable, um, but until they get a bill or get their act together, uh, that's not gonna happen. The good news is um, we don't really have to know until the middle of next year, because you know you really don't have to, you have until September uh, to file your business tax return of next, you know, this year's tax return next year. So you've got a little time. Um, we're also waiting on guidance on forgiveness of the PPP loans. Most banks are saying, no, we're not going to take you. We're not going to try this even. We're not going to take this on. So we're still waiting on that too. So it's basically we're in a hold pattern. 
I think, though, the good news on this is that the consensus, at least, and um, that I'm gathering from what you're saying from others are saying is that there is just a general idea in Congress that, you know, it is the right thing to do, right? I mean, it's it's silly to go back and create all these additional burdens for business in, in a time where we're really sort of teetering. Well, that that's, that's what Congress says. But now the administration, of course, some of it may depend on who wins the election. Yeah. I, I think uh, a Biden win is more likely to favor forgiveness. I, I'm not forgiveness, but actually uh, favor non-taxable uh, PPP loans than a Trump uh, win because Trump has said he thinks it should be taxable. So the, the administration is saying we think it should be taxable and the um, and, 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 and the Congress is saying, we think it shouldn't. Well, uh, that's, that's a very interesting thing. Cause usually you would put the Republican party with the, on the side of small business, but in this case, it, it definitely is not really the case. So speaking of Trump, uh, any comments on this $750 tax bill other than, well, he's a real estate investor and he's got a ton of depreciation and well, somebody else I know, uh, uh, who is on this podcast, uh, who's not you, has got a similar situation, <laughs> right? So, no, I mean, not not nearly to the scale, but the reality is there's a tremendous advantage to being a real estate uh, uh, investor. Is there anything other than that? I mean, is this even news? Uh, you know, to me, the question is, why did you pay $750 in tax? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you paid too much. He needs a new CPA. I mean, seriously. <laughs> I go, what, what's going on here? You know, my guess is if he paid $750 that there was some other tax yeah. on there, you know, some kind of tax that wasn't income tax. And that that's why he paid $750, you know, cause your, your, your income tax return shows self-employment tax and medical Medicare tax. And it shows a bunch of other taxes. So my guess is because it was two years and exactly $750, it was probably some other tax as opposed to, you know, purely income tax. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's to me, to most CPAs, most CPAs, this is not news. This yeah. is like, well, yeah, of course he's got first, he's, first of all, he's got a bunch of real estate, but even bigger than that is he's got a bunch of debt. So that yeah. means he's getting deductions for his, uh, the, the money he puts in because he put all of the money, right? I mean, think about this. If he put $400 million from the apprentice, which is what the New York times said into his golf courses, he probably leveraged that, uh, you know, three or four to one. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and so he gets the deduction not just for the money he put in, but he gets the money for the the yeah. deduction for the money the bank puts in. Right. So it would. I mean, it's not at all surprising. And you know, some of the things they're trying to raise, like the payment to Ivanka. I'm going. If he truly, if he paid Ivanka seven hundred thousand dollars, I mean, she could end up paying more tax than he would have had he not paid yeah. her. Yeah. Right. So I, to me, there's no there there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of the interesting thing for, for us in our world. We kind of live in this sort of unique spot where we don't, you know, the old saying, Tom, uh, about the the things that are um, guarantees in life, right? Death and taxes. And, and we're and we're on the side that says, wait, I don't think taxes are necessarily a guarantee in life. I mean, certain levels are, but you, you can you can mitigate, you can certainly potentially as 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 we've seen uh, with real estate investors, uh, typically, um, you know, it's very possible to eliminate uh, at least the federal side. 
So well, um, not, not only that, but, yeah. but Buck, consider that not only can you eliminate them now, I mean, typically the question is, who's paying the tax, right? Not is tax being paid. I mean, like if Trump pays an employee, the employee's paying the tax, Yep. right? Or the question is, when do you pay the tax? Do you pay the tax now or do you pay it later? That's what happens in a 401k, for example, yep. or a lot of real estate. But, but the thing about real estate is <laughs> you can actually set it up so that you never pay tax. And real estate is pretty much the only area you can do that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, one last question, then we're going to move on to the meat of this uh this interview, which is, okay, so getting back to this idea, now the election is just, what, three weeks away, something like that. Um, there is a, there's a chance, I mean, there's a good chance that Biden wins this. I mean, who knows? I mean, the polls have them way ahead, but I'm not really paying attention to polls this time around. I think it's, who knows what's going to happen, but there is a decent chance he wins. And a lot of people in, uh, certainly in my part of the world, uh, in the real estate uh, world, are freaking out a, lo- a little bit about it. Uh, they, they, you know, and I'm not sure if there is as much to freak out about as much as, you know, there is p- proposed legislation um, versus what is likely to happen. I was wondering if you would, if you would please give us a sense of what the proposed legislation from the Biden end affecting real estate investors uh, would be and what's realistic about it happening or not. Yeah, I, I'm glad you pose it that way, Buck, because there's a massive difference between proposed and realistic yeah. in this case. Remember, presidents don't make tax law. Congress makes tax law. Okay. So right. all the president does is sign it or not sign it. That's really that's really the only impact the president has. Yep. Right? They can propose it, but the, the reality is it's it's the House and the Senate that determine whether there's a change in tax law. So I would say, um, you know, he's proposing raising rates, uh, capital gains rates over a million dollars. He's proposing uh, raising income tax rates over $400,000. He's proposing taking off the cap on social security over $400,000. He's talking about um, uh, reducing, drastically reducing the estate tax exclusion from its current uh, 11 plus million dollars to three and a half million dollars. Um, he's talking about uh, an increase in corporate tax rates from uh, 21% to 28%. Um, so when he says, by the way, so when he or Kamala Harris say in their debates that they're going to they're gonna repeal the Trump Tax Act uh, day one, first of all, they have no authority to do that. So that's baloney. Right. Okay. Right. Second of all, they don't really mean that. Because, yeah. as you know, as Mike Pence, as Vice President Pence really pressed uh, Harris last night in the debate, um, you know, he goes, wait a minute, you're saying you're going to roll it back, but then you're saying you're not going to raise taxes on people under $400,000. Which is it? Right. Because if you if you rolled it back all the way, you would raise taxes because everybody got a tax break yep. in the t- 2017 Act. So either they are there. My guess is, they're not rolling it all the way back because he, he's Biden's already said he's not going to go to a 35% corporate tax rate. He wants a 28%. Well, that's not rolling it back. Okay. Right. That's not completely, you know, going back to the way it was before. Um, the other thing he's not proposing, he's not proposing getting rid of the qualified business income deduction, the 20% pass through deduction, unless you're over 400,000, mm-hmm. you're under 400,000. He wants to keep it. 
Um, he's not proposing, um, uh, there's actually a lot of changes uh, he's not proposing even, right? So um, let's talk about for a second what's likely, okay? What's likely is rates will go up, okay? That's likely. Um, and when rates, when I'm talking about rates, I mean um, rates on high income, okay? Rates uh, over 400,000, rates on, and he'll have, he'll add a couple of different levels. So my guess is he'll add a rate over a million and maybe a rate over 5 million like uh, Hillary Clinton had, had um, proposed. Um, my guess is he will get the capital gains rate increase. The question is, what I don't think he'll get though, is a increase on capital gains from business and real estate. Okay, so capital gains, remember there's two different types of capital gains. There's business and real estate capital gains and there's stock capital gains. I think where he'll end up is just stock capital gains. Very much like the carried interest rules only apply to stock capital gains. They don't apply to business and real estate capital gains. Uh, can you elaborate on that? Because I don't think a lot of people really know um you know, the difference between capital gains uh, that in real estate versus stock and, and sort of the implications of what you just said. Yeah. So it, it's actually a really big implication when you think about it. And, and here's why, because let me pause um, for a moment here and just let everybody know that Tom is also doing a little uh, whiteboard here. So those of you who are listening and, um, would like to sort of go back and, and potentially rewatch this, you can, uh, you know, go to YouTube and we have a wealth formula uh, channel on YouTube and uh, and watch this there as well, because there may be some things that are really important here that you may want to go back and look at. But sorry, go ahead, Tom. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and I'll uh, and I'll do my best to explain it uh, verbally as well. So with a business or real estate, those gains are what we call Section 1231 gains. OK, and a 1231, the reason that's the, the reason it's important now is that 1231 gains are, are different than, and 1231 losses aren't the same. So 1231 loss, so a 1231 gain becomes a capital gain, but a 1231 loss becomes an ordinary loss. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So yeah. capital, capital losses only offset $3,000 of income or capital gains, but a 1231 loss is an ordinary loss. A 1231 gain becomes a capital gain, but it becomes a capital gain. It doesn't start out as a capital gain. It starts out as a 1231 gain. And then basically if there's a net gain, then it's taxed at capital gains rates as a long-term capital gain. So that's why the 1231 is important. When they when the IRS wrote the carried interest regulations, they wrote them to only apply to pure capital gains and not and specifically exempted 1231 gains. Okay. And so that's why I say that when when Biden um, says he's going to tax capital gains, it may just be stock market capital gains. It may be, we don't know, but it may be. Now, those are things that are likely to happen. What's not likely to happen? Oh, one other thing, this is important for real estate investors. Um, eliminating bonus depreciation on real estate, on used property um, and real estate, likely in my mind. That, that it's actually a really easy, <laughs> we're the only country in the world that allows um, bonus depreciation on 
used real estate. And in fact, we're really one of the few countries in the world that allows any depreciation on used real estate. So from a pure policy standpoint, really easy to get rid of bonus depreciation on real estate. That being said, all he do is go back to the, the rules pre-Trump, which is the five year, um, 15 year, you know, 27 and a half, 39 year um, categorizations. And, and even, even before bonus depreciation, of course, many of my clients who were real estate investors paid zero tax. So, and remember Trump's tax returns that the New York Times reviewed are pre 2018. So they, those zero amounts weren't based on bonus depreciation. Yeah. Those zero amounts were based on the, the, the normal depreciation rates. They're even more zero now, Tom. That's what I would probably guess. Yeah, that, that's really <laughs> what it is. And that's really all it um, is. So let me ask you a question on that because the bonus depreciation issue comes up a lot in our accredited investor group where we, you know, we always do these cost segregation analysis on the properties that we acquire and pass along bonus uh, you know, we're able to take those five years, roll them up into one and then pass them on to investors. Um, so that has been something that people have enjoyed. If this expires, when do you think, um, is, is that something that becomes effective? Like if Biden's elected and takes office in, in January of um, uh, next year, uh, do you think this becomes legislation that's likely uh, to affect 2021? In other words, there probably will be no bonus depreciation in 2021. Uh, so here's how legislation, tax legislation works, yeah. timing wise. Yeah. Okay. And and you can go back to the Trump tax law uh, to see uh, to see an example of this. Uh -huh. So remember, bonus depreciation the increase to 100 percent. And the increase to allowing unused property happened on September 27th, 2017. Mm. Okay. Now why that day? That's the day it was proposed. That's the day it was first proposed. So until it's first proposed in legislation, it's not, it's, it's, it's just rhetoric. Okay. So here's the question. So the question is, what will Biden want to do? And I, I hope they ask him this question, frankly, in a debate. What will he want to do during his first 100 days? If his, for example, if he thinks he can get health care passed in the first 100 days, okay, then he's going to have to raise revenue to do that. And if he does, then raising tax rates is probably the likely thing that'll happen. Will he actually get rid of bonus depreciation at that time? I don't know. Okay. That may be saved for a later bill where he's trying to do all of his social maneuvering, right? He's trying to do in his tax bill, he uses, by the way, doesn't use any of the money to pay down the deficit. Okay. Sure. Let's be clear. Sure. The Democrats do not believe that deficits are a problem. Yeah. They have, they have fundamentally embraced modern monetary theory, yeah. which says deficits don't matter. So that's a really important thing to remember is that they, the reason, for example, they're trying to get a $2.2 trillion bill and they're, they're going, we don't understand Republicans. Why don't you want to give us the 2.2 trillion in the Republic? And it, not all the Republicans, but some of the Republicans in the Senate say, wait, we don't want to just throw money at this and, and have this gigantic deficit. And knowing that a lot of the, the money is not going to be used the way right. you know it's supposed to, because it wasn't, I mean, a lot of it is pork. Well, because there are Republicans who still believe a deficit's an issue, the Democrat, the Democratic Party has taken the party line. Their party line is 
deficits don't matter. So we have to consider that when considering, you know, what's going to happen in the future if we have a Democratic president and Congress. So going back to the tax, the timing of it, I think you're going to see this staged. Some things aren't going to happen. Are we going to lose 1031 exchanges? No. I, I do not see that. It would devastate the real estate market. It takes mm-hmm. all the liquidity out of the real estate market. I do not see that happening. Okay. Are we going to see a decrease in the estate tax exclusion? Probably. Are we going to see an elimination of the step up in basis at death? No, we're not. That was tried before in 1980. It failed miserably. Okay. Jimmy Carter tried it. It failed miserably. And they, they went back to step up in basis. It, it's, a, it's a terrible idea to have a low estate tax exclusion and no step up in basis. So they're going to do, they'll probably will reduce the estate tax exclusion, maybe not to three and a half, maybe to five and a half, which was the Obama level 2015. Um, but you won't see as much change in real estate as you might think. The biggest change is going to be the bonus depreciation. Other than that, I don't see, I don't think you see a lot of change. Yeah. So what's interesting to me about this is if you look in the context, you know, obviously the 1031 exchange issue you brought up, um, that has been, you know, that's been something that's been sort of tried in the past. It's failed. Uh, there's lots of reasons why that it makes good sense to keep uh, that that particular law in place. So, okay, if that doesn't happen, well, listen, 1031 exchanges don't really affect most passive investors anyway, because when we do syndications, we don't do 1031 exchanges. We do, we basically are just doing, right. um, you know, we're just taking capital gains. Um, the Where it does affect uh, our investors uh, is this ability to potentially sort of ride this uh, golden hamster wheel by taking their gains and then rolling it into something else and getting bonus depreciation. So to me, the bonus depreciation is pretty much the only thing that limited partners in real estate really need to, you know, that's probably the big thing that's going to change for them. Is that fair? Well, that would be fair. The other, the other thing that they'll want to be looking at is this question of capital gains. Okay, because if if capital gains over a million dollars are recognized at um, ordinary income rates, okay, then there are times when you're going to have a capital gain of over a million dollars, especially if you let's say you had multiple properties sale sell in the same year, and so you had let's say you got you you invest in three or four syndications, and you know we see a you know, the, the developer sees a crash coming, right? Right. The developer sells those off big capital gains. And if, if, uh, if Congress passes this and says, look, real estate gains are taxed like regular capital gains over a million dollars, then you're going to see that's actually something to pay attention to as well. Got it. Yeah. All right. And then, um, the last question, somebody asked me this and you brought, you're bringing up, you bring up the distinction of the 1231, uh, gains versus uh, ordinary, you know, your typical stock capital gains made me remember this. So let me ask you this now. So the, a lot of times we have, you know, 1231 uh, losses because of, um, you know, um, depreciation, uh, et cetera. Um, but let's say, do, do those losses, do real estate, can real estate losses offset um, stock capital gains? If they're, well, real estate losses, again, 
their ordinary loss. So they can offset any kind of income. Any income, right. So that's any, what any I thought. That's right. what I thought. I just, I've had this question a few as, times. As long as, yeah. now remember, of course, yeah. which I know we're going to get to, we got a passive versus investment category. Okay. Stock capital gains are investment income. They never can be passive income ever. Okay. They're investment income. So they're not eligible for passive income treatment. So it, the only time you'd be able to offset stock capital gains is if you are a real estate professional. Okay. So now that we've had our, you know, <laughs> almost 20 minutes of, of, by the way, let's start with this. Uh, I appreciate that time. There's a lot of great information there, but we, the first time we, um, the last time that we talked and we plan on doing this, uh, um, the show, um, you know, we talked about something that, again, uh, I think the terms are thrown around a lot, but I really want to dive into this because it is such a critical issue and one that, um, you know, I think, you know, you, you're famous for saying if you want to change your tax, uh, then you have to change your facts. And one of them is to, you know, start making more of your income passive. So why don't we start with this very simple you know, define passive income. Tell us why it's the best kind of income we can have. And if you want to back up even further, because I know you've got your your whiteboard there, give it. You know, yeah, go I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna start really basic here. Yeah, and really simple. So the first thing you have to know is that only business and rental income can ever be passive. Mm-hmm. Investment income, we basically have. Or uh, think about it. We have four types of income. Okay. We have, um, first of all, you have earned income. That's uh, your, your regular business. If you're a schedule C that's um, that's subject to social security taxes. That's your W2 income. That's earned income. That's taxed at the highest rate. Then what you have is the next type is ordinary income. And ordinary income actually has to be broken down into two types of income. One is business income, which is ordinary income. And one is non-business income. For example, income from a um, pension plan or a profit sharing plan or 401k retirement income. That's ordinary income, tax at ordinary income rates. It's never business income. Okay. So then we have what we call investment income. Investment income are things like interest, uh, dividends, um, capital gains. Okay. And I'm I'm not talking about capital gains from real estate. That's a 1231 gain. That's actually a business income. I'm talking about all you do is invest. Okay, it's a pure investment, dividends, interest, um, capital gains from stock, for example. Those are investment income. All right. And then what we have is we have this category that we call passive. But, but passive is almost not its own category. And the reason is that passive only relates to business income. Mm-hmm. Only. Okay. It never relates to investment income and never relates to non-business income and it never relates to earned income. 
Okay, so it's only business income that it relates to. That's really important to understand. And rental real estate is a business for this, these purposes. Okay, so that means you're you're regular like you're a doctor, and you have a, a you know a medical uh, you know you've got your company your your PA or your, your PLLC. Um, that income is going to be business income. You have income. You know, you're a dentist or you're a um, or, or you're, you're a manufacturer or you're an online retailer. I mean, these are all business incomes, okay? So you're in, you're in a trade or business. Stock investment, not business income. That's investment income. Even if you're a professional stock investor, okay? So even if you're a professional stock trader. Okay, so now that you've got that piece, now you can go to the next piece. So business income, is broken down into two pieces. So you have business income as a category by itself. And again, we're going to include, we're going to include real estate in business income. Now, if you're a real estate developer, that's actually a different type of, that's a regular business income versus real estate rental, which is kind of a subset of this, okay? But business income basically can be broken down into active, and passive. If all you have is income from all of your businesses, this is a distinction that has no implications at all, okay? The only implications is when you have a passive loss, okay? Because a passive loss cannot offset active income. An active loss can offset any kind of income, including capital gains and investment income, earned income. Active income can, can offset any kind, active loss can offset any other kind of income. All right, so that's really important. So active income is the best. And so when we talk about real estate professional, what we've done is we've converted passive into active by being a real estate professional. That's mm -hmm. all we've done. Mm -hmm. Now, that's great because now your losses are unlimited, right? They can offset anything. So that's why real estate professional can be so good. But of course, a lot of people are always gonna be passive investors. I'm one of them, okay? With respect to a, a syndication, I'm never gonna be a real estate professional. I, I, I'm not going to. My, I have a, a full-time business, multiple full-time businesses. Yeah. My wife has a full-time business. Neither one of us want to be a real estate professional. That's not going to happen. That doesn't mean we can't use our passive losses. And that's, um, that is the biggest mistake I hear um, from uh, CPAs and tax advisors who are doing tax returns for real estate that have real estate losses and they're going, well, it's a passive loss, so you can't use it. That is not the rule, but that's not the rule. The rule is a passive loss can only offset passive income. That's right. So it's a, think of it, think of it like capital losses. Capital losses can only offset capital gains. Passive losses can only offset passive income. It's a bucket. Yeah. And, and just to your point, let me interrupt for a moment because we have, you know, my listeners who've become your clients 
we have people out there or, you know, of, of you or wealth ability in general who've had substantial passive income and didn't even know it because their CPAs <laughs> didn't tell them. They've had ancillary medical services like surgery centers, infusion centers, dialysis, whatever, making hundreds of thousands, in some case millions of dollars where it has been, um, clearly it's passive, right? But their CPAs have not given them that knowledge. And the significance of this is, as you mentioned, um, if you are, if you've got all this passive income, you have a real opportunity, at least until this bonus depreciation thing goes away, to really knock out a lot of it through passive investments in real estate, where your um, these huge losses are, you know, flowing through K ones. They don't just get suspended. You can actually use them. Is that right? Right. So here's what happened to a passive loss. If you have no passive income. What happens to a passive loss is it gets carried over forever. Okay. So mm -hmm. you never lose it until the property is sold. When the property is sold, all those passive losses are freed up. Okay. Even if there's no gain, all the losses are freed up. So just know that you, you've not lost it. Even if you don't use it currently, it's not lost. It's just a carryover. Kind of like if you have mm -hmm. too much uh, charitable contribution, right? Yeah. In one year, you can carry it over to the next year. The difference is charitable contributions only carry over for five years. Passive losses carry over forever. Mm -hmm. Okay. Forever. Now, <laughs> this is where, <laughs> this is where I get frustrated because you're right. There are a lot of people have multiple businesses and the rules for what's passive and active, they're not simple. Okay. Mm -hmm. well, there's actually seven different rules, seven different ways you can make a business active. Okay, seven different ways. Okay, not one, yeah. seven. Yeah. The, the main one is you spend more than 500 hours a year in it. Okay, but you can actually have multiple businesses where you only spend 100 hours a year and it's still active. Okay, so just know that that's in your mind. All you need to know is you need to know that what's possible so that you can go to an advisor who really understands this because real estate is a specialty from a tax standpoint. So don't, not just any, you know, business is not regular business, not a specialty. Okay. I'm sorry, but the business deductions for a doctor are pretty much exactly the same as the business deductions for an online retailer. Yep. Okay. They're not a lot different outside of the inventory. Right. So, however, Okay. When you, when you get to this area, you're going, okay, so we've got multiple businesses and some, some of those businesses, we're not the only owner of, we have, you know, we participate with other people and we don't really do anything. We just put in money or we might put in a little bit of intellectual property. We may very well be passive in those businesses, mm -hmm. like you say, but, yeah. and, and one of the first things we do when we look at a uh, tax return for a new client, what the very, one of the very first things we do is say, well, wait a minute. Are there, are there businesses here that could be passive? Okay. Um, that have not been treated as passive in the past. Okay. And if there are, then sometimes we can even get a refund. So we did that with one, uh, one client recently where we just, filed a refund claim because they were passive in their business. So they had real estate losses, should have been offset. 
So we filed a, a, an amended return, got back 40, 50 grand. Okay. Um, other times it's okay. We don't need to file an amended return, but guess what? Going forward, you're good. They're going to start investing in real estate passively. So now we need to make sure that it's marked properly. Okay. So we have to go through that analysis. Now let's say that, okay, we, we got that taken care of. Now let's say we've got active business income and we've still got losses that we're not being able to use. Now what do we do? It's not that hard. Losses meaning from uh, other sources outside of a business? Passive losses. Yep. We have passive losses, like from real estate. From real estate, right. But we don't have passive income. Right. Okay. So how? So the question is, oh, passive losses can only offset passive income. And if that's the case, one of the ways to, do, to, to fix that is, well, become a real estate professional or your spouse becomes a real estate professional, and that does cure that, okay? But there's another solution that most, unfortunately, most tax advisors never explore, and that's the idea of converting or changing the nature of your active income and actually converting it to passive income. Yeah, and- Because if, if you can change the nature of your income, and you're going, wait a minute, I, I have to work in the business. Yeah, hey, by the way, let me let me just emphasize this if you if you're if you get nothing else out of this show today, this is what Tom and I really want to pound into you because this is where this really could be uh really life changing for you in terms of your economics. So pay attention to this. It's it it is something that everybody should listen to and very closely because I don't care what you do for a living, how you're making money, but there's a possibility that you could be structuring things a little bit differently here uh, to, to, to save some money. So Tom, go ahead with that. Okay. So we, we get down the road here and we decide we need, we're going to have passive losses. We're not going to be a real estate professional. We've already looked to see if we have, businesses that are already passive because of the amount of time we spend in them, that's not, that's, we're not being able to use all of our passive losses. So then we look at it and we go, wait a minute. Okay. Even though we're not going to change how much time we spent. Okay. In the business, is there a way to have at least some of this income be passive? And that's what I want to show you. Mm -hmm. So, and the answer is in many cases, not all cases, but in many cases, in many cases, the answer is yes. And here's what happens. So let's suppose that you own a business here, okay? And let's say that business is being taxed as an S corporation. That's a flow through business, meaning the income is being taxed to you. It's not being taxed to the business, it's not a corporation, it's not a regular corporation. So you're paying tax personally on that income. This would normally be, this is your regular business. Let's say it's your practice, for example. Okay, this is your business. And in this case, in most, for most of us, that's gonna be active income. Now let's say you've been listening to, <laughs> to Buck's podcast for the last several years, and you go, wait a minute, what we want to do over here is we're going to have same same taxpayer 
and we're going to have some real estate, right? And I'm going to draw this, by the way, when I draw diagrams, they're always the same from the standpoint that a, a triangle is always a partnership and a square is always a corporation and a circle is always an individual. It. It's just helpful to know when you're going okay. back to reference this. If, if you're watching this on video, I'm drawing this. And so you'll see that I've got these, these are LLCs and, and so that's, that's what these are. And, and you know, you've got property one, property two, say, or and property three, or these are, you know, investments. They can be passive investments. That's fine. This is your holding company right here up above, um, which is a frequent, this is just a common ownership structure. Okay. Mm -hmm. You don't have to do it this way, but it's a common way to do it. Okay. Now, right here, let's say that the business has positive income of $700,000. Okay. And then let's say, uh, okay, let's say this is Ivanka's business. She got paid seven hundred thousand dollars <laughs> from from uh -huh. from the Trump company. And then we have losses over here of let's say three hundred thousand. Okay, so we have three hundred thousand dollars of losses, and we have seven hundred thousand dollars of income. Well, if you don't do anything else. That $300,000 of loss is going to carry forward and you're going to pay tax on $700,000 of income. Okay. You don't get to net the two because one's passive and one's active. Okay. So what do you do? Well, and I say, I'm going to preface this. Don't be saying I can't do that because there, <laughs> there are ways to do yeah. this. Yeah. Okay. Just, Bear with me for a minute, okay? Mm -hmm. Because there are ways to do this. So let's say that we take and we form and, and, and we form a trust for our children. We form a trust for our children. And we put we we put into that trust, okay? We we want we want our children to end up with our assets, but we don't want them to have any control over it right now. Mm -hmm. So we put into that trust ownership, some percentage of the business. So we put that, in other words, we don't own 100% now. Now some of it's owned by the trust, okay? And we're gonna set this up, preferably, doesn't have to be, but preferably so that the child is actually taxed on it, okay? So I know this sounds complicated. I'm gonna tell you, we do this all day long. Mm -hmm. So you, you need to have the right advisors. You need to have people who know how to do this. Um, when you do, I mean, as you know, as, as Buck knows, Robert Kiyosaki, my friend is always saying, uh, investing is a team sport, right? Business is a team sport. So we get help with this. This isn't something you do on your own. Now, let's say we give some percentage of that. Let's say we give 50%, okay, um, to uh, put it into trust of our business. And then let's say over here, we put 90% of the real estate into the trust. So we put 50% of the business, 90% of the real estate. Mm -hmm. So what happens? Well, 
Okay, so that means that the child is going to be taxed on 50% of the business income, okay, which is 350,000. And they get 90% of the real estate loss, which is 270,000. And that means that now this, these are both passive to the trust, they're passive, so the loss can offset the income. And now you're only carrying over $30,000 $30, instead of carrying over $300,000. And that $270,000 in a 40% tax bracket is some serious money to you. That's over $100,000 um, or close to $100,000. So what all we've done is change the ownership. Assuming your children aren't active in the business, okay? Assuming they're not active in the business, we set this up properly. There are things we have, there are all sorts of I's that we have to dot and T's we have to cross. Yeah. But when we do this, and it is allowed by the law to do it as long as you follow the rules, then we're basically getting a current benefit of the 270,000 instead of waiting until we sell the property to get that benefit. So there's the um, additional thing here, uh, Tom, that uh, I know people are thinking about right now, which is I'm a doctor, and in my state, they only allow doctors uh, to be the owner, the primary, you know, the single owner of the uh, professional medical organization, whether that's an LLC or a PLLC or whatever. And so in that case, we still have options though, right? I mean, talk a little bit we about do. some of the angles around that. We, we, we do. So um, for the... For the physician practice itself, it may have to be owned by you. I get that. In some states, it's just 51% has to be owned by you. Mm -hmm. I know that, okay? And in some states, it can be any amount. So uh, it, you do need to check your state, okay, first of all. Second of all, you're, you probably do a lot of things in your practice that you could outsource. Mm -hmm. You do a lot of things in your practice that you could outsource somebody else. You could outsource the, for example, if you wanted to, you could outsource the accounting, you could outsource the billing, okay? All of those things, you could actually set up, I mean, technically you can do this, you could set up another company, okay? And you could actually have the trust on that company entirely. Right. And have, and have, and have that be a separate company, and that's, say, the billing company, for example, or it could also no, own the equipment an MC or an MCO or something like that. Yeah. And it can actually provide services to the physician company. And that's allowed for, to my understanding. That's, I, I oh, don't yeah. know Ab any state that doesn't allow that. Absolutely. And, and one other, one other thing that I've seen in here, just for context is, you know, there's often in our physician offices, there's a lot of equipment, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of equipment. Absolutely. That, that, equipment that equipment could be owned by that other company, in which Absolutely. case you are paying for that equipment. That money flows into there. So so I'm, I'm bringing up this example because, again, there's always this, yeah, but you can't do that. There is lots of different ways to do that. So, um, yeah, sorry, go, go ahead. Keep going. Yeah, just just to give this perspective, um, you know, I travel around the world with uh, Mr. Kiyosaki uh, during non-pandemic times. Yeah. And um, when I travel, it doesn't matter where I go. I mean, literally Moscow, 
Um, Kazakhstan, I've gotten this. Uh, Kyrgyzstan, uh, I got this. Um, uh, South America, um, Chile, I got this. Uh, I'm thinking of specific instances now where just without exception, but somebody comes up to me and says, great information, you can't do that here. Right. And really what they're saying is, if you say you can't do this here, what you're really saying is, I don't know how to do that here. Right. Okay. So understand, I can't do surgery. I can't. So I can say, well, you can't do surgery here because I can't do it. Right. I can do this. I do this all day long. And, it, and, it, and, it, and it, if it comes under audit, it's not a big deal. We make, by the way, we make sure all our I's are dotted and T's are crossed. I mean, we're really careful. Uh, Buck knows this. We spend mm-hmm. a lot of, we spend a lot more time on tax returns than most people do. We really do. But this is why. Okay. Because if a client is audited, we want to make sure that everything ties out and that there's no questions. All right. And, and you do it by making sure it's all right. Now, would you do this if you only had $30,000 of passive losses? Of course not. It would be cost prohibitive to set it up. But if you're a regular investor, if you're investing a a hundred, $200,000 in passive real estate every year. Why would you not go through this? Yeah, for sure. And, and to that point, there's another thing, there's another category of, of people I just want to address too, because again, we've addressed um, people who have essentially private practices, a way to manipulate, uh, you know, legally, but to, to, to change their facts. Right. But there is another group. And so, for example, we have people in our um, investor group who are a husband and wife, full-time employed physician. So when you see something like that, obviously every situation is different. But what are some of the potential ideas that pop into your head about that where you're like, literally, there's no practice here. There's no, I mean, there's no business owned here. This is pure W-2 from husband and wife is surgeon and anesthesiologist. You're, you're, you are, you are seriously limiting yourself. I, I, seriously. Well, so, no, I get it. But what would be some of so, the things that you well, here are some things, here are some things you can do. Okay. First of all, um, first thing I would say is set up a business. Okay. <laughs> that's the easy answer. Okay. Start a business, do something that's, that is business related that you can have a home office that you can, you know, deduct vehicle meals, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Do those things. I mean, we all know that business owners get treated differently than employees. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's to me, that's rule number one. Always think about that. Number two is, are there some investments that don't have these restrictions? There are. Okay. Uh, the most notable is oil and gas. Okay, oil and gas investments do not have the passive loss restrictions if you own it the way the the government says to. Okay, so you can invest in oil and gas, get big deductions, and you can be an employee. Okay, so that's a different type of investment. Okay, so that's that's another way to look at it. Okay, there are um, there are some tax benefits from uh, other more sophisticated things like um, you could, you could have a, a charitable contribution. Okay. So there are charitable contributions that uh, give you big tax benefits. Remember the tax law is a series of incentives and it's incentives to do certain things from an economic standpoint, from an energy standpoint, from a social standpoint. Okay. 
All you have to do, and this is why I wrote Tax-Free Wealth, is really to walk through what the incentives are so that you can choose which incentives am I interested in. Now, does that mean that everybody's going to, to do that? No, but I do have, for example, Buck, I have a client, been a client for many, many, many years, and they pay very little tax, and husband and wife are both surgeons, and they're both employees and they pay very little tax. Well, the reason they pay very little tax is because they uh, do some charitable contributions um, and, and they get big tax benefits for their charitable contributions. So it really depends on where you want your money to go, mm-hmm. okay? And depends on, you know, how you want, you know, what incentives you're will, what facts are you willing to change? Yeah. Our job is to tell you what facts you can change and your job is to decide which yeah. facts you want. The part of what I was sort of getting at there too, Tom, was that, you know, even in a situation where you've got, you know, say you've got a surgeon and an anesthesiologist. Okay, well, what if what if the is there a way have you looked at I I mean, I'm just thinking out loud about okay, well, maybe if you're employed, would your is there a way that you can become an independent contractor instead of being employed? And have, you know, your, your salary or whatever you're, you know, you're getting paid, get paid to your business instead of, uh, you know, instead of, a, instead of to you directly as a W-2. So those kinds of things, I think a lot of people get trapped and they don't even explore those ideas, right? And that's, that's kind of, do you see that a lot? I, I do. I do. You know, there's a, there's, there's kind of a line that you go yeah. down. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and, and so for, for me, okay, if I'm doing your tax return, I have to sign under penalties of perjury that that return is complete and accurate to the best of my knowledge. Yeah. So I, I cannot sign a return that takes a position that I feel does not have a reasonable chance of winning in court. Okay. So if I looked at that situation, it it depends on the situation. So I'm not saying never. Right. But if I looked at a situation where I'm a W2 and now I'm just getting that as an independent contractor. And uh, now I give that an ownership of that business to my child. I might have a challenge with that one. Okay. So it it would depend on the facts and circumstances. Right. That's the thing. All tax laws dependent on facts. Right. So, you know, whatever we can do. I mean, let's say, for example, you're an anesthesiologist and you decide, wait a minute, I'm going to even employ my children. There's another another way to do it. Just employ your children um, and let them, you know, do some work for you and pay them. And they're taxed at a low rate and you're taxed and you get a tax deduction if you're an independent contractor, right? Or let's say that you become an independent contractor and you go, hey, I kind of like being an independent contractor. I'm going to be an independent contractor for multiple hospitals or multiple places. And uh, and then I can make more money. And maybe I can set this up so that I can get some of these tax benefits. Uh, but can you make a really good point that a lot of times we, we actually hinder ourselves or frankly, our advisors hinder us and say, you can't do that. Okay, where the real question should be, how can I do it? Right. Okay. That's a much better question. And your advisor, that's the question you should be asking your advisor. How can I do this? How can I take this deduction? How can I make this income passive? How can I make, how can I get benefit for this deduction now? It's always, how can I, 
um, you know, not can I. So I'd, right. I'd stay away from the can I and get to the how can I. Yeah, and I would just say that if you have a CPA now and you ask these questions and the answer is, well, you just can't, then I think you need a new CPA. I really do. I'm not saying that, you know, uh, there's a, a definitive answer to every situation, but you want to have somebody who's actually working with you. It is critically important um, that you make this uh, as active uh, of, of a, you know, positioning in your life as you're, you're making your investments because your overall profit, uh, you know, is, is not only what you're making from your investments and from work, but what you actually get to keep. So this is really important, um, stuff. Tom, um, do you have any, um, do you have anything else to add in terms of, uh, you know, other thoughts, uh, people ought to be thinking in terms of passive, uh, passive income? Well, uh, let me just add one more thought here. And, yeah. and uh, I, I would encourage everybody to um, watch the video for this one. I'm going to explain it, yeah. but I would very, very much encourage you to see what this means. Okay. So let's say that you have the entire tax law. Okay. And let's say that what I've drawn here, this, this uh, goalpost is the entire tax law. All right. So here, here we have the tax law and let's say that you, have a tax advisor that knows this much about the tax law, just a little tiny bit about the tax law, which is frankly, most tax, uh, unfortunately, <laughs> most tax advisors, which is why I created my network yeah. of, uh, of tax, uh, tax advisors and CPAs, because I want to train them to be better. I think they're good people. I think they just don't understand. Okay. What happens is, is that anything that is outside of what they know, would be aggressive. And as we all know, it doesn't matter if it's aggressive to you, if it feels aggressive to them, because if it's aggressive to them, they're going to say, you can't do that. Right. Okay. But most, most of what I hear about, Oh, that's aggressive. It's because they just don't understand the law. Right. And that's because they, they don't understand what you can and can't do because they never spend the time to read the law. All right. Now, let's say on the other hand that you have a, uh, a CPA or, or a firm that actually knows most of the law, particularly when it comes to real estate and business. Okay. And, 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 and that's, that's what they know. Then what that means is everything that they know, everything they do that they know would be conservative, right? It would be conservative to them because they know how to do it. So things that we do, I will tell you, I, 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 you know, I teach classes all over the country, all over the world. I get people, I get people all the time saying, well, my CPA says that's really aggressive. I'm going, well, it probably is to them. Right. Okay. It's perspective to me. It may be very conservative because I understand how the law works and I know how the IRS is going to do look at this and what they're going to deal with. And I, I've read the court cases and I've read all of it. Okay. So it's, you know, when you say, are, are you aggressive or conservative? I will always tell people I'm the most conservative accountant I know. And that's because I will never do something that's outside of what I know. But if I don't know something, I'm going to learn it. And so if somebody tells me, well, by the way, there's another way to do this. Like, like Buck says, well, what if, you know, let, let's say that was new to me. And Buck says, well, what if we just become an independent contractor and then we do that? I'm going, oh, let me look at the law. Let me see what, 
ways we can do that because I'd like to make that conservative uh, approach. Okay. Because without knowing any, any different, I would say, well, that's aggressive. Most accountants say that's too, that's too aggressive. You can never do that. And I would just say, well, let me look at the law to see if it, if I can make it conservative to see if I can take that position and, and feel conservative about it. Because my, I will admit my number one goal buck is to never be anybody's girlfriend in, in prison. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, right. Sure. I'm not, not going to go to prison for you. Yeah. Um, knows that we're very careful with his return. We're very yeah. careful with all returns, but that's a very important distinction when you're looking at things like this, because you're going to hear when you talk to your accountant. Now this is important because when you talk to your accountant, some of them will say, what? I don't understand. Okay. Then you need to say next. Okay. Or some are going to say, you can't do that. And then you're going to say next. Okay. Um, but someone will say, oh, I've never thought about that before. Maybe you could do that. That's the accountant you want because yeah. then they can research it. And if they say, well, I don't really understand this. Um, you probably need somebody else to do this. Great you know, Buck can refer you, you can come to wealth ability, whatever, but, uh, you know, just make sure that your accountant is, um, is actually asking the right questions. That's really, I guess that's really what, what it comes down to. So I'm going to make a few comments here and to, to sort of finish this off is uh, I will, um, ordinarily, you know, you may not have somebody, uh, admit this because of this, you know, how crazy, uh, you know, people get about this, but Tom is my CPA. Um, Tom, you know, I paid, uh, zero federal taxes in 2019. I made quite a bit of money and that's a fact. And I'm not worried about it because everything we did was legal because Tom doesn't want to end up in the big house and, you know, have his other, uh, uh, paranoias come to life. <laughs> um, the, uh, this is something that, uh, you know, I wouldn't have thought really possible uh, a few years ago. Uh, it is possible. I'm not saying that that's everybody's goal, but I think mitigation is, uh, is, a, is a real goal that everybody should have, is optimizing legally what you can do. Um, Tom has a podcast called Wealth Ability, and you should listen to that. He also has a network, and this network uh, of CPAs is also called Wealth Ability. Um, wealth ability, uh, we, uh, we have a very close relationship with them. Um, we send a lot of people to wealth ability because of these kinds of concepts. I am, uh, as you know, everything that we for the most part do within our investor club is tax efficient investing, whether that's, um, real estate, whether that is, you know, our, our new, um, you know, ATM fund, things like that. And so this is all part and parcel. I highly recommend that you contact WealthAbility. Tell them that you listen to this podcast, that you're a listener, and you want to change your facts. Um, mention me, by the way, because it is important for them to understand that you do have a background in this stuff. You're not coming cold turkey and that you're sophisticated as one of our listeners. Tom, do you have any comments on that? Yeah, I really do. Um, but we, we, we love, we love the people you refer for that specific reason. I understand that when we work with clients, um, we're partnering with you. Okay. We're not taking it on, you know, it's not like turn it over to us because right. I can't change your facts. I can tell you what facts to change. I can tell you how to change them. I can report them on the tax return, but I can't actually do the work. So my job is to tell you 
basically what you could do, what's possible, and your job is to actually go do it. And so it is a partnership and it's not for everybody. Okay. Um, I find uh, that everybody who comes from Buck though, what I love about them Buck is that they've got some financial education because it does take an understanding of kind of some of the basics because otherwise it's, it's going to be a long road. Yeah. I mean, you know, having some of those basics and actually, and I would go back all base, uh, all of your wealth formula podcast. You know, if, if you're just starting in here, I would go back and listen to all of them. Um, Buck's a great educator. He gets great guests on, on his uh, platform. And we, uh, literally we love the clients that come from Buck because we know they're going to be educated. They have a really sound base of financial literacy. And they'll ask lots of questions and, and they uh, will these, for sure. And these CPAs uh, are not the type who are just going to say you can't do that and you're being you know overly aggressive, et cetera. We're we're really about trying to turn this into a fluid partnership, which is really I think the ultimate goal and why why I like Tom's group so much. Tom, um, it's wealthability.com, right? In terms of uh, correct. Uh, so go to wealthability.com um, again. Let them know that you're you know one, you're one of our uh, community members and and that you heard this and the types of things that you're interested in. And you can talk to one of the uh, representatives over there to get into the network. Tom, I want to thank you again um, for being on Wealth Formula Podcast. It, it's always a, a incredible to me that we've been on so many times here, but we always have these conversations that I end up feeling like I just learned, you know, you know, even more. So I appreciate that. And uh, as always, I uh, would love to have you back in the near future. Always love doing it, Buck. Thank you. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, everyone. I uh, hope you enjoy the show. I have to tell you, these these uh, it's always amazing to me. Every time I have Tom on, I feel like I learn. You know, I I I you know I spend a lot of time on this stuff, but I always learn something, right? And something where I'm like, oh, yeah, that's you know, there's something I can do there. I hadn't thought about it that way, and. You know, if you're, you, you know how you know if you're a wealth formula junkie is if you get really interested in these sort of tax podcasts, because, you know, I think most of the general population is probably not that interested, but that's who we are. And we are uh, after, you know, trying to maximize our, uh, you know, the profit that we get to keep, not just brag about how much money we make. We actually want to have it for ourselves. Uh, and so these conversations are really important. You know, if you haven't noticed, the whole premise for Wealth Formula and also, you know, for Wealth Formula as accredited investor group is really about tax efficiency in investing. And, you know, even if you look at our uh, new, newest offering uh, with the uh, ATMs with, with the WF Velocity Fund, uh, it is, again, extremely tax uh, beneficial and it's something to think about from that perspective. I mean, it's, um, you, you know, it's, these are the things we do on purpose. Um, and it's funny when you think about like, you know, t financial advisors, et cetera, talking about, you know, the kinds of returns they're getting, et cetera. Um, they rarely look at the concept of, you know, adding in returns because you didn't have to pay them out. In other words, the money that you save from tax mitigation and when we when we put those numbers together, for example, in in the current offering that we we, we were talking about with the ATMs, you take something that has an uh, internal rate of return uh, on its own 
without any tax advantages being, you know, 17% or whatever, all of a sudden that jumps to 30% with the tax benefits. So these are the ways we need to think. Uh, I also highly encourage you, I will say this to, um, you know, the main, the main theme of today's show was all about how do you create, you know, different facts. And if nothing else, I would highly encourage you to look at your current situation, try to think outside of the box and use some of the ideas that we thought about today and say, hey, is there a way? I mean, I do have this practice. I do have this you know, I could be an independent contractor. I could be, you know, instead of uh, an employed uh, anesthesiologist, I could have a company and, and work at different hospitals and have them pay me and I can market and I have some of my own equipment. I can lease that. I mean, there's ways to think about this. So I want you to have an open mind. Um, if if you don't have a tax advisor who's willing to play, play on some of these ideas with you and be creative, I highly recommend uh, you check out WealthAbility. That network has been really, really good with our uh, investor groups, um, you know, whether you're accredited or not. Uh, that said, uh, that is it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. This is Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not facts. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time.